family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Within the Wesleyan Heritage, there is a prayer that Wesley had written entitled, The Prayer for Purity. We're going to join together in that that prepares our hearts to engage the scripture. Words are on the screen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Mission of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. The scripture today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. I'll be reading from the message translation. Hear now the word of the Lord. John the baptizer appeared in the wild preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locust and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama to whom I'm a mere stagehand will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's Spirit, looking like a dove, come down on him, along with the Spirit, a voice. You are my son, my chosen, and marked by my love, pride of my life. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be transformed and shaped into the good news of the gospel of Christ. In whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. It's difficult to comprehensively cover all aspects of covenant and baptism in a brief period, but I want to hit some highlights about what we mean about this day and what we understand about Jesus' baptism and what we understand about our baptism so we use the term covenant renewal. What is a covenant? A covenant is simply a binding agreement between two parties. You see within the scriptures clearly that there are several covenants that God established. 
There's the, the Noahic covenant, which is in Genesis chapter 9, when God promises following the flood, he makes a covenant with Noah that the rainbow would be cast in the skies and there would never again be a flood. There's the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15, in which God promises Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. There's the Mosaic covenant that you see lived out in the book of Exodus chapter 19 and 24, where God establishes his covenant with the people of Israel in Mount Sinai, with a book of the law, and gives them particular instructions. There's the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God makes a covenant and promises that the descendants of David would reign over the throne for the people of God forever. It's what we just celebrated in the season of Advent and Christmas, as we often talked about why did Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Bethlehem. And then there's the new covenant. The new covenant expressed in Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah talks about there's a time coming when God's not going to make a covenant that's etched in stone, but on hearts. It's a covenant that is fulfilled clearly in the life of Jesus. And you can unpack that if you look at Luke chapter 22, where the covenant language that is promised of the Old Testament is clearly mentioned in who Jesus is. So that's what covenant is. It's about renewing this agreement. So if we think of an agreement between two parties, God has been faithful on God's side of the covenant of his love, his reaching to us in grace, his offer of forgiveness. He's always been faithful on his side. We come to renew the covenant because it's our side that tends to need the renewal, the reminder. And so we come to renew our yes to God, to say it's been, it's been a year. It's going to be another year. And while we stand between those two, we stand at a place to say, we renew our yes to God. In essence, it is a day for a mini revival. But what was happening? Have you ever wondered if baptism was for the repentance of sins and Jesus was the Son of God who had no sin, why was he baptized? Theology 101 leans us right into the scriptures, and what does this all mean? Jesus was without sin. We know that clearly. His baptism wasn't for the repentance of his sin. So we first need to say, what was John the Baptist doing? John the Baptist was the forerunner. He tells everybody that's what he was. He was out at the River Jordan. And in the Jewish tradition, the prophets would call people back to a season of repentance. You would go out and you would wash ritually, and the text tells us this clearly. John the Baptist said, come for the repentance of your sins. People will go out, and John the Baptist's language would be that entirely, I think it was probably the motivation for Hallmark in his words, repent you brood of vipers. Now, it would never go on a Hallmark card and wouldn't work for any kind of day set aside. John the Baptist was a little sharp around the edges, and he didn't care. He called people back to a life of repentance and aligning their life with God. And so what happens is Jesus comes along. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He sees him and he says, well, I, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And John the Baptist was right. But Jesus' response in another gospel is, no, you must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness as proclaimed in the scripture. So what's happening here? Jesus is coming not to be washed for forgiveness of sins. The people who are ordinary people who are coming come to repent of their sin. They're ritualistically washed. They're baptized. They're put under the water. They come out. They're preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah. Everybody was looking for that. But when Jesus comes, he says it's to fulfill all righteousness. What is righteousness? 
A very simple working definition of righteousness is to be right by God or right with God. To be right by God or right with God. And so what is Jesus saying? What he's saying is, look, I must come into the human journey. I must enter into what's happening so that I can absorb the sin of the world because John the Baptist will call Jesus. Do you remember what he calls him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, as Boethius says, enters into the journey of humanity fully human so that he can take all the sin of humanity and that we might become the children of God. This is truly what's happening. If you look at the text, you'll find that after Jesus' baptism, he is immediately driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. But what happens at the moment of his baptism? At the moment of his baptism, the clouds open, a dove descends. A dove is always what we call theophany, a representation of the Holy Spirit. And a voice speaks and says, this is my son. And the NIV and RSV says, my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. I love the message translation. This is the son. This is my son, the pride of my life. I love the imagery. The baptism is the moment in which we proclaim that God says, you are the pride of my life. But as people were coming to that moment of baptism, of washing away sin in that Hebrew tradition, preparing for the coming Messiah, what is it that we believe about baptism? So here's the the quick understanding of general, but I understand there's two primary trajectories in understanding, not right, not wrong, because I will tell you, I can't find anything biblically that says you have to be outwardly washed physically in baptism in order to make it to heaven. That's to put it real blunt. You don't have to be water washed to be saved. But you do have to make a profession of faith with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. Think about the thief on the cross who he had, he had neither time for confirmation or catechism or baptism. In fact, the only thing the thief on the cross could say to Jesus was what? Do you remember the words he said? Uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. So if we go back to the understanding that salvation is a sidebar, Joel tells us in the Old Testament, the minor prophet, that whoever cries upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation really is that cry to God. And you just cry out to God. And so... When we look at the waters of baptism in our understanding, it is in fact true, the Baptist, our Baptist brothers and sisters that do it purely by immersion, it's true that baptizio, the word in the Greek, it means to put underneath the water, yes, okay? And if you join the Baptist church, which practice what's known as a believer's baptism, which means you, immerse, you first must profess with your mouth and have a profession of faith and then be immersed, as an outward sign of obedience. If you go from the Methodist church to the Baptist church and you haven't been fully immersed, you're going to be rebaptized. I jokingly say, but if you come from the Baptist church to the Methodist church, we just dry clean you. <laughs> now the power, okay, the power of an immersion baptism, the power of baptizing someone when they are of age and awareness, the power of that is there's an awareness of what's happening. And there is a power in that. Another mode of baptism is is baptizing like we did with Caleb. Even though Caleb could do nothing for himself, the waters of baptism were washed upon him. And here's our biblical basis for this. Number one, there are five different instances within the New Testament that talk about whole households being baptized. Number two, did Jesus 
uh, parents, Mary and Joseph, say, we'd really like to wait for him to become of an age of discernment to decide whether or not he wants to be circumcised. They didn't, right? That, so the parallel in our tradition is in the same way that the eighth day comes and the child, the boy children, are taken and circumcised. It's an involuntary act that marks them as being a part of the community. This baptism is a mark of being a part of this community that's open to all sons and daughters of God. With the expectation, the expectation, this is not a christening. You christen ships, you christen buildings. Right? This is not a christening, this is a baptism for us. And what we would expect is that that child, that Caleb would grow to make a profession of faith on his own in response to his baptism. Friends, whether you have been immersed or baptized as an infant, I was baptized as an infant. I don't remember it. I've seen pictures of it. There were three different preachers present. I guess they were worried I wasn't going to make it. But I have all my life been nurtured in the church to profess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Christ is Lord and to respond and to renew my yes to God. This is what today is all about. The renewal of our yes to God. Not to simply participate in a trite kind of cute little ceremony, but to profoundly say as we did, we believe that God so loved the world that what John, chapter, the first John says clearly that we love because God first loved us is true. That what Paul said that when we confess our sin, God forgives us our sin. And that even when we were dead in our own trespasses, God proved his love for us that he died for us. This extraordinary, extravagant love of God that's always reaching to us, always extending to us. A forgiveness that's always open as if God is looking to the horizon. But friends, this is not about us finding God. It's about letting God find us again. Here's how Henry Nouwen says it. For most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now, I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by God? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. Friends, I have baptized infants that could do nothing for themselves. I have baptized uh, very young element, elementary age children who come back from a retreat and say, I know who Jesus is, I accept in my heart, and I want to be baptized. That's good enough for me. And I treat them like an adult. I baptized in ponds in Texas and tanks, if you know what that is. I baptized in rivers. Word to the wise, if you ever baptize somebody in a river, put the head upstream. Otherwise, the water runs up your nose. I've baptized in pools and spools and jacuzzis. I've baptized in Baptist baptistries and Church of Christ. I've baptized eight-day-old and I've baptized 81-year-old. 
And I'm able to do that across the whole spectrum, even for those who can't answer for themselves as adults who may have some limiting cognitive processes. Because for me, baptism is not about the decision of the individual. It's about extending the de- in a tangible way the desire for God to be in relationship. It doesn't make it right or wrong, friends. It's a witness for you and for me of God's love. And nothing can change God's love. You've heard that phrase, there's a God and you're not him? Well, let me add one for you. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about that. In Christ is the most clear example of that love. And so to move us to the end today, the way the, servant is, uh, the service is going to wrap up is that we're going to continue to use some elements of what Wesley used in this covenant service as he gathered people together. As he reminded them to renew this yes to God, there is no formal benediction today. If you sit waiting for a benediction and the second song of Isaiah, you'll be here till church closes at about one o'clock today, okay? But my call for you is this, that when you leave this day, whether you choose to come forward and touch the waters or not, that you choose to live faithfully from the waters of your baptism. There's nothing magical about this whatsoever. This is simply water. Water which reminds us of God's presence that is with us. And as I mentioned earlier, to remind us, this is water from the River Jordan. I didn't buy this in the gift shop, as you can see. I took it down to the waters myself. In fact, it was in the River Jordan that the last place that I had a chance to remember my father's baptism and he remembered mine was at the River Jordan just about six months before his death. So I just add some of the waters of the River Jordan. Nothing magical about that. It just sort of helps me in an earthly way to remember I'm connected with what God does in our lives. When you come forward, if you'd like, Joe will be at one station, I'll be at the other. You would have the waters, you can just touch them if you want. We'll have some towels here if you want to dry your hands. Just rub your hands in the waters, it's perfectly fine to do, like a hand sanitizer. What if that's what it needs to be for you today? Just touch the waters, and like a hand sanitizer, think about the waters of your baptism. Who was there that day that proclaimed around you that they would love you, nurture you in the life of the church? If you've never been baptized, talk with me afterwards. You can still come up. You've never been baptized, still come up, you can touch the waters. You're remembering what God's already going to do for you, even without a baptism. He loves you in Christ. If you desire to have the sign of the cross, you just simply point towards your forehead, and we'd make the sign of the cross on your forehead for you. But again, this is not rebaptism. this is remembrance. And the reason I choose to do it this way is that the original liturgy of the church, what would happen is the celebrant would come to this point in the service of remembrance and say, put their hand in the water and do this, say, remember your baptism and be thankful. Well, I think almost got some to Barbara. If I go really hard, I can get to Jerry. If I throw really, really hard, I can get to Joe. I just want you to taste and see and tangibly touch the waters this day, give you the opportunity to, to know that in Jesus Christ, God loves you. And there is nothing you can do about that. And to quote my good friend Jim Welch from a few weeks ago, ain't that something? Ain't that something? 
Here's what would happen in the covenant renewal service. Wesley would gather the people and he would say, Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is redeemed from sin and is consecrated to God. Through baptism we have entered this life and have been admitted into the new covenant which Jesus Christ is the mediator. He sealed it with his own blood that it might last forever. On the one side, God promises to give us new life in Christ, the source and protector of our faith. On the other side, we are pledged to live no more for ourselves, but only for Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. From time to time, we renew our covenant with God, especially when we reaffirm the baptismal covenant and we gather around the Lord's table. Today, however, we meet as generations before us have met to renew the covenant that binds us to God. And then he invites people to join in this covenant renewal prayer. And I've changed the, the pronoun here to not me, but us and we. Because we're in community. So friends, let's join together in this prayer of covenant renewal. We are no longer our own, but yours. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let us be full, let us be empty, let us have all things, let us have nothing. We freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are ours and we are yours. So be it. And the covenant which we have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.